That's one of those songs that if you're not sweating at the end of it, you aren't doing it right. My name is uh, Dave Atkins, and I have the uh, privilege to be able to uh, speak to you this morning. Um, it's uh, great to be here. I love being part of South Bay Church. Uh, thank you for visiting with us. I want to extend a welcome to you, and thank you for visiting with us and worshiping with us. Uh, as mentioned, we're going through a little bit of a series called Not the Word, and it's based on a book that was written by a man named Thomas Pinkio, who was a man who was this way. Um, But kindness. Uh, Why should we be kind? I want to start off with that. You know, basically, we live in a tough world. There's a lot of challenging things going on in our world today. And we can feel like we just need a hug. Amen? Uh, the, The reality is, you know, the society we live in, the world we live in, is really challenging. There's a lot of, you know, challenging things. You know, and even sometimes we feel like, well, I'm tough, I can handle it, uh, but we still need a hug. You know, I need a hug, but don't touch me. You know, we can be like that as well. <laughs> but the truth is, uh, all of us need encouragement. Everybody around us needs encouragement because we live in a challenging world. You know, even uh, just... You know, the past few months, you know, I, I don't, I'm not a huge political guy, but, you know, the situation in, in Syria is, is concerning and scary. Uh, you know, it sounds like they're, you know, kind of getting to a, a better place, but, uh, you know, chemical weapons and what are we going to do and is Russia going to get involved? I mean, it, it can be a very scary time, even for us in America here. Uh, you know, the economy, you know, I think things are getting better, but, you know, a lot of people are still out of work and money's still tight and that, that can lead to stress and, and discouragement and things like that. Uh, it's been amazing to me how many major tragedies we've had in, in the last year or so. I mean, things that I've never even heard of happening. Uh, you know, like a year ago or so, the uh, that kid that killed all those first graders. I mean, that just I, I just can't even comprehend something like that. And and then uh, you know the Boston Marathon, the bombings there. You're like, what in the world's going on here? Uh, and then you know they you know a few months later they find you know those three girls that have been kidnapped and, and held. In a basement for 10 years, one of them. You know, it's like, what's going on? <laughs> you know, the world is, is crazy. Uh, and all of us and all the people around us in different ways are, are, can feel that and can feel the discouragement and can feel the, the concern and the stress. Uh, all, we feel that, but people around us feel that. You know, people are hurting in our world. And really what people need a lot of times is kindness. They need a kind word. They need a hug. They need somebody to, to encourage them and build them up. And that's what I want to talk about. You know, even in the spiritual realm, we need kindness, don't we? 
You know, when you talk about all the things that are happening in the world, uh, but you know, spiritually, it's a battle as well, isn't it? You know, the Bible talks about how our, you know, our battle is not really against flesh and blood, but it's against the spirits, the dark forces that are around us. Uh, and that's really true. And we feel that in our spirit. I want to look at a couple of scriptures. First one is in Revelations and uh, talk about the, uh, the spiritual challenges and the spiritual face things that we face. It says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now you have now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God, the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. You know, I want to focus there. It says the accuser of our brothers. He's talking about Satan. And look what he says. He says, Satan is accusing us before God day and night. I mean, that that just kind of makes me angry in some ways. You know, it's like Satan is in there in God's ear saying, look, he blew it again. Look, he got angry. Look, he did this. And it's not just once or twice. Day and night, Satan is accusing us. Satan is going to God and he's saying, look, he's supposed to be a Christian. And look what he did. Look the way he treats his wife. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you see those little pictures of a little snappy dog. You know, since Steve and Jack are here, I'll kind of make fun of little dogs. But, you know, kind of snapping. And you just want to like, you know. Let's 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 edit that when Steve and Jackie here. But in some ways. That's how Satan is. He's in God's ear saying, look, look, look. Doesn't it just make you angry? And you know what, brothers and sisters? We feel it, don't we? We feel the accusations of Satan against us a lot of times. We feel it in our spirit. We may not even know why we're feeling this way, but we're feeling the accusations of Satan on our hearts. And it can bring us down. It can discourage us. We need kindness. Mark 4. This is uh, in the middle of the parable of the sower, where Jesus is sort of explaining about the different soils. And uh, he talks about here, it says, Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. You know, even as disciples, even as Christians, we still feel the worries of this life, don't we? We still feel the deceitfulness of wealth. We still have the pressures of making a living and supporting our family and, um, you know, trying to make our car payment. Um, you know, even this morning, you know, Jay, Marco was telling me, you know, Jay was supposed to be here, but his car broke down in the morning. Don't you? That just, you know, bummer, you know, but we, we feel those things. And just because we're, you know, Christians and we're saying we're going to heaven doesn't mean we don't feel the discouragement of all these worries of life that are around us. Uh, we feel them and they're real. And that's why we need encouragement at times. We need people to build us up. Second Timothy 3, verse 12 says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. doesn't say may be persecuted, or will at times be persecuted, or there's a possibility you'll be persecuted, says if you want to be a Christian, you're going to be persecuted. That's just the life that we live in when we make a decision to become a Christian, is that we are signing up for, in some ways, persecution. 
You know, for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, a lot of times that actually does mean losing their life or being put in prison or, you know, physical beatings and things like that. You know, here in America, we don't necessarily feel that, but we still get persecuted, don't we? It's but more subtle ways. You know, we, we feel sometimes a separation from people that work when we don't get involved in, of course, joking or gossiping or, you know, getting involved in the things that they do. And we can feel that separation, which, you know, can be hurtful. You know, people can pull away and say, oh, yeah, you're the church guy or, you know, you're the holier than thou or, oh, don't say it. You know, I mean, we can get that's persecution. And hey, amen, we're standing up for God, but it can still hurt. Sometimes even our immediate family members can persecute us, can uh, can pull away from us in different ways because of the stand we're taking. We're trying to live for Christ. Uh, you know, many, many of us have situations like that where our parents or our neighbors or whatever it is, uh, we feel that persecution. We can feel ostracized in different ways like that. So even if we're not getting beaten up for our faith, there's times when we still feel the persecution of what it means to live a godly life. And it, you know, it's hard because we're like, hey, I'm trying to do what's right, and I still get people making fun of me or badmouthing me. All I'm trying to do is follow Jesus. You know, but God says, you know what, that's part of the, that's part of the package of being a disciple is you're going to get persecuted at times. It's not going to be easy. 1 John 3 says, This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in His presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Okay, so what this scripture is saying is not only do we have Satan accusing us day and night, not only do we have the worries of this life, financial pressures, whatever it is, weighing down on us. Not only do we have people making fun of us because we're trying to do what's right. We're trying to be godly. It says, even at times, our own hearts condemn us. You ever felt like that? Sometimes we are our own worst enemy. I know that's true for me. A lot of times, there's a lot of negative talk inside my head. A lot of negative things about myself. My own heart is condemning me. But, amen, God is greater than our hearts. But we feel that, don't we? We feel the kind of things we say to ourselves sometimes. You know, you're a loser. Or you've messed up again. Or you, you know, you've, you, you've known about the sin and you haven't repented. You've messed up in another situation. You got angry again. You were impatient. Don't these things go on in our heads constantly? Running us down. Accusing ourselves. We don't even need Satan to accuse. We accuse ourselves. We feel this a lot of times. I know I feel that. And so what we have is we get hurting. We need people to be kind to us. And we need to be kind to people. You know, my, my point is, is that all of us need encouragement. All of us need kindness. Because we all this stuff in the world and spiritually is all going on around us. But a lot of times we're not aware of that. And so when we see people, we, we're not aware of what they may have gone through, what their day has been like, what their morning's been like. They need kindness. They need someone to be encouraging, to be building them up. You know, I want to talk about, you know, how we can do that. Uh, but I wanted to start with, you know, like we said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You know, we got to keep that in mind. Like I was saying, when we, when we see people, we, we need to give them benefit of the doubt at the beginning. Because who knows what they've gone through that day. Uh, we need to be concerned with how people are feeling. How are you doing? And, and monitor our response based on how they're feeling. Are you ready to be kind? So I want to talk about how to be kind, but I want to start with, are you ready to be kind? 
I want to read uh, Colossians 3.16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You know, the Bible says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I want you to think for a minute about the last time you were harsh or unkind to someone. Think about it for a minute. Maybe it was, you know, earlier this week at work, you snatched at a co-worker. Or maybe it was, you know, your wife or your kids or something. Think about when you were harsh and you were unkind and what you were feeling. You know, it may even been this morning on the way to church. It may even be while you're listening to me talk, you know, who's this bozo up here? Seriously. Well, this bozo forgives you. But... um <laughs> But, you know, think about what, when was the last time you were unkind? And let me ask you, you know, was it because, when you think about the situation, was it because that you were just irritable, you were on edge, and so that made you to be short with someone? Maybe you were tired, it had been a long day, you came home, and it just so many things on your mind, and you just were irritable, and you were you said something harsh and unkind to your spouse. Maybe something had happened there that made you frustrated. Maybe something unexpected. Your car broke down. Jay could be feeling that. Uh... Just something unexpected happened, just put you in a, in a bad mood, and then the, you know, the first person you came to, you were just, you snapped and you were harsh and unkind. Maybe you're just feeling, for, don't even know why, just down or discouraged. You know, most of the time, I know for me, most time for us, I think when we're unkind to someone, it's because we're not really doing well spiritually. Because there's something in our hearts that is that is bothering us that is just really affecting how we treat other people. And so my point is the first the first way to be kind is to make sure you're ready to be kind, to make sure your heart is always close to God. Um I know for me when I get snappy, when I get irritable, it's a red flag for me. I think, okay, what why am I this way? I, I I'm not normally I'm usually pretty easygoing. Um so when I get to where I'm ready to bite someone's head off, I know there's something going on in my heart that I need to think about. Either I'm not close to God, I'm not praying, whatever it is. I wrote down, kindness starts with getting our hearts right before God and being close to God. Let me ask you something. How is your relationship with God going? How close do you feel to God? How, How at peace are you with God? How joyful are you in your relationship with God? You know, I've been a disciple for a long time. I started going to the discipling churches in college in 1979, you know, back when the earth crust was still cooling, uh, you know, a long time. Uh, and I remember one of the first things they talked about was your relationship with God. And here I am 30 some odd years later, and we're talking about the relationship with God. And you know why? Because that is basic and that is crucial and I think sometimes when we've been disciples or Christians for a long time and we talk about, you know, how's your quiet times or your time in the Lord, or your time in the Word with God, and how's your prayer, we talk about, you know, how's that going, it can kind of be sort of like a checkpoint thing. Well, yeah, whatever, I know I should be doing that. No, you should be doing it because it serves a very real purpose. It affects how you treat other people. And if you're harsh or unkind to people, it's because you're not close to God more than likely. Way high percentage of it. It's not something that, you know, we need to be held accountable for, whatever that is. You know, we've got to realize, I need to be close to God because 
I want to treat people the right way. I want to treat people like Jesus. You look through the ministry of Jesus as he oftentimes he went by himself to lonely places to pray. He got up early in the morning. Why did Jesus do that? Just so he could the, the disciples were kind of looking for his example and checking it out. No, he went to God every day because he needed it to face whatever he was going to face that day. You know what? We're the same way. <coughs> we need to be reading our Bibles, to be praying, to be repenting, to be letting God work on our heart so that we can, when we interact with people, when we get frustrated, when things happen, we can deal with it spiritually because we have the Word of Christ dwelling in us richly. And I think sometimes we have the Word of Christ, but the question is, is it dwelling in us richly? That's why we need to do it a lot. We need to be in the Word every day so that it dwells in us richly. You know, I want to hold up my wife, Mary. She's awesome. And uh, you're going to hear her testimony a little bit, which is encouraging, because even if I blow it up here, Mary will bail me out with a great testimony. Um, amen. I like the way that's set up. But, you know, Mary's got a very challenging, stressful, adversarial-type job. She works for Neutrogena, and they release, you know, 70-some new products every year. And her signature is the last signature that needs to be on there before they can put the stuff out to the market. And so, as you can imagine, all the testing that goes into a new product, all the scientific stuff, all that kind of stuff, they give her a binder about, and I am not exaggerating when I say it's like this thick, single-spaced stuff that she has to go through and make sure everything is right and every I is dotted T is crossed, everything matches up, or she won't sign it, and it won't go out. And it's coming from like 12 different departments all over the country, and 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 she's the last one. This is the she's the last roadblock before it goes. And a lot of times they have trucks lined up with this new stuff ready to go to market, and she's like, "I'm sorry, this is not right. I am not signing it until this goes." And so there's a lot of people that are not kind in those situations to her. <laughs> And, you know, and, you know, she's awesome. She has great character, integrity. She's like, it's got to be right because we're held to the FDA. If we come and get an audit, they're going to, you know, come down on us. But there's a lot of people pushing on her. So what I'm saying is she's in a very tough job a lot of times. And I hold her up because a lot of times, most of the time, most days on her lunch hour, she goes out and walks around and prays. And she prays to God to get her heart where it needs to be. Because, like I said, there's not a lot of kindness coming at her during the day but she needs that time with the Lord. It's not just a check mark with her. I need this time, she says, to get my heart till I can I can respond appropriately in the work environment. You know, and so if you're ever driving, you know, Neutrogena is down by the airport. So if you're ever driving down there middle of the day and you see Mary walking around talking to herself, she's praying, okay? Uh, she doesn't need medication. She, you know, well, she might, but, you know, she's just praying. <laughs> she's praying and getting her heart right. I think that's a great example. So how do we, once we got our hearts right, you know, how do we really encourage people and help people? You know, there's a lot of ways to show kindness, uh, but I'm mostly going to focus for my lesson about the words that we say, the verbal kindness. I mean, there's a lot of ways to show kindness. 
Uh, one big one for me is making brownies. I love that. Um, just throw that out there. Uh, but there's a lot of ways we can show kindness to people by serving them or helping them and things like that. But, you know, for the purposes of, you know, this morning, I'm just going to talk about what we say and what we encourage, because that's really a huge part of how we can really encourage people or discourage them by the words that we say. You know, our words carry tremendous weight with people. We really do. We can say something that, you know, the book, the Love Works book, talks about, you know, we have the opportunity every day to make someone's day better or to make it worse. And a lot of that comes through how we interact and what things that we say. So things we say can really, really hurt people if we're not careful, but they can also, on the other side, really, really build people up. You know, Ephesians 4, verse 29, if you're a parent, this is probably a familiar scripture. We used it tons of times uh, with our kids growing up. Um, but it has great value. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Isn't that a great scripture? That's a practical scripture. That's one you can really use a lot. It's a challenging scripture. Because look what it says. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Well, what if they really need it? Or what if they really messed up? Or what if they, you know, what if they really deserve it? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You know, a couple keys here to really being kind with what we say is, is he uses the word helpful. Only what is helpful for building up according to their needs. You know, when we talk with people, we need to think about, is what I'm going to say going to really help them? Especially with where they're at. You know, if somebody's really hurting or in a bad place, it's probably not the best time to point out something they need to work on. You know, their need right now is for you to encourage them and to be sympathetic. You know, there's times when we, you know, we need to help, you know, challenge people more. uh, But even that needs to be done with wholesome ways the right way. But, you know, we need to ask ourselves, is what we're saying going to be helpful to people. And even more than what we say is the way we're saying it. Is it helpful? You know, our tone of voice, our inflection, things like that, goes a long way to really communicating how we really feel. Is it really helpful? It also talks about that it may benefit those who listen. Again, kindness, encouraging. The goal there is to benefit whoever you're talking to. And I know sometimes if we're not in a good place... If we're not doing well spiritually, if the word of Christ is not dwelling in us richly, we can say things that benefit us. Man, I'm glad I got that off my chest. And the person's devastated. It's not about you feeling like, hey, I got this off my Man, I feel tons better because I said all this stuff. Well, it may be a little harsh, whatever. No, we need to say things that is going to benefit those who listen. I also like when it talks about uh, building others up. And really, that's the heart a lot of what encouragement is is building others up uh, and encouraging. And the point I want to make here is, uh, you know, it's great to uh, encourage people, uh, but the more specific we are, the more encouraged they will be. I mean, it's great to say, hey, you're awesome, you know, or I think you're, you know, you're a great guy, and sort of leave it at that. I mean, that's cool to hear. There's worse things you could say. Um, But it's even more encouraging, isn't, isn't it, when someone says, you know what, brother? I have noticed how super patient you were in that situation. I'm really impressed by that. You know, that's a fruit of the Spirit, and I see that fruit of the Spirit in you. Isn't that a lot more encouraging than, hey, you're awesome, or, you know, good job, or whatever? The more specific we can be in our encouragement, 
the more it builds the other person up. You know, Paul was a great one at this. Turn over to, if you have your Bible, or look at Philippians chapter 2. You know, Paul here in, in, uh, is writing to the church in Philippi, and one of the things he's doing is introducing Timothy to them. He's going to send them Timothy to, you know, help them out. So I want to read this here, and I want you to look at the specific ways, the specific things that Paul says about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. You know, he calls out several specific things about Timothy. He says, I have no one else like him. I mean, think, man, how many people did Paul know? How many churches did he start? How many people did he have uh, contact with? How many leaders did he train? I mean, it's probably hundreds or thousands, right? We don't know. He says about Timothy, I have no one else like you. That's pretty high praise. He says, who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. You know, he says, Timothy, he's not just doing this because I told him to go to you or because it's his duty or because, you know, because he's a minister, it's what he's supposed to do. No, he has a genuine interest in helping you. He really sincerely, from his heart, cares about you. And even more, he says, everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And really what he's saying is, you know, Timothy, what's important to him is the interest of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's awesome. He's not pursuing his own agenda. He's not trying to do whatever it is. All he's concerned about is how can God be glorified? How can I help these people be more what Jesus wants them to be? And not only is that, he said he's proven himself. It's not just something that he's done once or twice. Paul says he has proved himself in all these things. And because of that, I am sending him to help you. That's pretty high praise. I think it's encouraging because we can see how Paul didn't just say, hey, here's Timothy, listen to him, he's a good guy. No, he laid out several things for them to see this guy is really who we need, can really help us. And can you imagine how when Timothy gets there, you know, maybe some of the conversations, you know, we had, man, you should, people can say, man, Timothy, you should have, you should have seen the things Paul said about you. Wow. You know, and think about how encouraged Timothy would have been. You know, maybe, you know, he even, they showed him the letter. See, here's what Paul said. And I mean, I, I imagine Timothy felt very encouraged, very built up, very thankful to Paul that he had praised him in this specific way. So that's when we encourage people, we build people up. We need to look for ways to really specifically call things out. You know, point out when you've seen them grow in something. Especially if, you know, if you're close to them and you know they've really been working on on, on some area in their life. Uh, look for them making progress and really commend them for that. That'll really encourage them. Uh, like I said, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. You know, look for those in each other. You know, all of us you know, have different ones that we struggle with probably, but there's some that we do well in, and we should be encouraging people. I really see you as being joyful. That really helps me up. That really encourages me. You know, I love Rachel Johnson. We sit by her, you know, and during the song, she's always moving and grooving. That really builds me up. She's joyful. 
I can't imitate that because that would not be encouraging to the body. But uh, she does it very well. Uh, but that's joyful. And I want to build her up for that. It, it lifts my spirit. And I'm sure each one of us has different things like that. We look at somebody and we say, man, that really, that really helps me. That really encourages me. That's what we need to be doing to one another. That's how we are kind and how we build people up. Who should we be kind to? He's looking at it like, who, me? You know, who should we be kind to? Well, it says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, First Thessalonians, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Okay, so it looks to me like we basically have to be kind to everybody. <laughs> you know, be kind to each other, amen, and to everybody else. You know, like I said earlier, all of us need encouragement. All of us need kindness. All of us need to be built up. Whether you've been a disciple like me for a long time, whether you're a young disciple, whether you're not a disciple, whether you're a teen, whether, it doesn't matter what walk of life you are, all those challenges that we talked about are all happening to each and every one of us, and all of us need kindness and encouragement. All of our relationships. We need to really make sure we are trying to follow Ephesians 4 and not letting any unwholesome tuck come out when we interact with each other. But I want to just highlight a couple of relationships I think is really important. Uh, because like I said earlier, depending on how close you are to someone, what you can say to them really makes a difference. Uh, I think about in the marriage relationship. You know, brothers, husbands, what you say to your spouse, to your wife, is way more important than what anybody else says. Somebody else can say the exact same thing to them in a negative way, and it won't be as destructive as if it comes from you. Because... You're her husband. We need to be very conscious brothers that are married. That when we communicate with our spouse, we do it in the spirit in the, of first, or excuse me, of Ephesians 4. We need to make sure that there's no unwholesome talk in our mouth. Because what we can say will really damage them more than anybody else can. The same way wives, same principle applies with your husband. You know, somebody can say all kinds of stuff disrespectful to them. But let me tell you something. When the wife disrespects the husband, it hurts them more than anything else. We probably know that, but we've got to be reminded of that. It matters who we're talking to. It matters what you say to everybody, but it especially matters in some of those relationships. Same thing applies with parents. You know, what you say to your kids is super, super important. And Yes, a lot of times they can tempt us, they can challenge us, they can put us in a situation where we want to be unwholesome, where we want to be unkind, but we've got to fight against that. Because again, fathers, what you say to your daughters, what you say to your sons, and how you say it has a tremendous impact on them. More than anybody else in the whole world, what you say to them really, really, really affects them. Mothers, same thing with your kids. You know, I remember when uh, uh, Mary and I are a blended family, and, uh, you know, she had Shannon, and so Shannon became my daughter. Uh, and I remember early on, you know, Mary told me, Dave, what you say to her matters more than anybody else in the world. And I haven't always done good with that, but I've always remembered that, and I've always tried to be respectful of that, that what I say to Shannon as a young girl is huge. And I can't, I gotta, you know, 
not, I can't let myself fall into whatever the temptations are. And at times I do, I've got to repent. But what I'm saying is we've got to realize those conversations are huge in what we really say. You know, one other group I wanted to call out we need to be kind to is the poor. You know, Mary and I uh, are community service regional coordinators, and so uh, if I'm going to get up in front of the church, I'm going to take a, ch- a chance to uh, encourage us to serve the poor. Uh, look what he says. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. You know, the more you read in the scriptures about the poor or about, you know, those that are less fortunate, God really, really has a heart for them. Even here, he says, if you're kind to the poor, God will reward you. How we treat the poor, God looks at that. And uh, I know we're, you know, our, our church is really doing a lot more to help that. I want to encourage that and just thank you. We've done a lot of great things in community service here in South Bay. We're coming near the end of our visitation thing with Adele Air, that, and we've had a lot of great support with that. But I want to always keep it in front of us because we're always going to have the poor with us. We're always going to have people that have needs, and we can't just say, okay, well, I've done, I've done my duty for the rest of the year or for the rest of my life. No, we need to be that way all the time. Look for ways to help all the time. Increasing the odds is uh, one of the uh, signature programs for the L.A. Church is uh, being involved in foster care. And so one of the things we're going to do for the region is in two Sundays, we're going to have a foster care informational meeting. It'll be at Lawndale because that's where we're meeting that day is at Lawndale, Raptor Church. And basically what this is for is that if you have an interest in getting involved in any level of foster care. Now, obviously, you know, foster care covers a lot of different things. We, we you know, it would be great if you can adopt someone or maybe be a foster parent. But even if you can't do that, there's other ways you can really help, uh, maybe mentoring or whatever it is. And so we're going to have, this is just for anybody that's interested in finding out, just has a little bit, even a tiny bit of an interest in, in helping the foster youth. Please uh, make plans to be there after church. We're going to have some food for lunch. So I just wanted to uh, leave that with you as well. Um, you know, as I close out here, we get ready to take the communion. I want to introduce Mary in a minute. Uh, be kind to one another. We need it. We live in a challenging world. We've got spiritually, we've got all kinds of things going after us. Uh, and, you know, as, as in everything, God is really the example for us, isn't he? If you have your Bibles, turn over to Titus. I didn't put this on the screen, so I get to go old school and read this out of the Bible. Um, Titus chapter 3, and I want to use this scripture to uh, introduce Mary, but also to get our hearts thinking about uh, the communion and about how much God has blessed us. He says in verse 3 of, of Titus 3, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness... And love of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. You know, it talks about how messed up we were and how unlovable we were and how deceived and enslaved. And all the, you know, the kind of things we looked at the world today, you know, we were like that in our hearts before we were Christians. All those things, hating, hating one another, just caught in sin, enslaved in all kinds of things. But it says, when the kindness of God and the love of God came, he saved us. 
You know, and as we think about the Lord's Supper, just think about how kind God has been to you in your life. You know, and I'm going to let Mary come up and just share about her life, about how God has been kind to her uh, in her life over the years. I give you my wife, Mary. And I'll come back and pray after that. It's challenging to condense 57 years into like five minutes, <laughs> so I'll do the best I can. Um, you know, I originally was born and, and raised in the Midwest in a great family. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm the youngest of four kids, and um, I had a loving parents, great life as a youngster. But, you know, I didn't really think much about God growing up because we went to church, you know, very rarely and didn't talk about it at all. So I had no idea who God was at all. Um, In high school, you know, I felt like I was a good person. I got good grades and so my parents were happy. But I had a whole nother life that they knew nothing about. And I did such stupid stuff. I can't even, you know, we'd be here for a long time. Um, Mostly related to impurity with my boyfriend of five years, trying to fit in, drinking, parties, all sorts of stuff. So when I went to college, he was not happy about that. And so we broke up. And so during college, I uh, worked full-time, went to school full-time, and studied. So I had, like, no social life at all. And uh, that's all I did, work and study. So after college, after I was trying to recover from that, um, I went to work at the MGM Grand Hotel in Reno, because I lived in Reno, and I just wanted a, you know, an easy job. And so after work at night, uh, several coworkers and I, would we would go down to the nightclub that was there, and because they had this really cute band that was playing in the nightclub. This sounds so weird right now. Um, yeah. And so... And so, you know, after a while, I ended up marrying the lead singer of that band and moving to San Diego, where he lived. Um, You know, marriage was great. We had a great time. Again, he was a professional musician playing nightclubs, and so we did a lot of partying and stuff. Um, He was from a really religious family, and so we would go to church once or twice a year to please his parents. And, you know, it felt good. Um, but I didn't get anything out of it because I'm like, I don't understand what I'm supposed to feel here. I don't know who God is. I don't, I don't get this. (laughs) I just don't get it. And so, you know, our life didn't change at all. And so it was, you know, not real. It wasn't real. Um, after we started having Shannon and Ryan, though, it got really difficult because, um, You know, he worked nights, late nights. I had a job during the day, so we rarely saw each other, and we had the kids to take care of, and so things went downhill pretty quickly. Uh, And so after about 10 years, uh, we were divorced, and a lot of stuff happened. He and I became enemies. We It was just an awful split. The kids were in the middle. Really a horrible time. Uh, I got, because I didn't learn anything, um, I got involved in another relationship right away, which was a total disaster. 
and uh, a relationship that the kids were hurt by very much. They were small. They were, uh, when we got divorced, they were two and four, and they were very confused. They did not understand what was happening. Um, and so that relationship ended after about a year. At that point, the kids and I moved into an apartment in San Diego, and I just went into seclusion. I'm like, okay, I'm 35 years old. This is not how I planned my life. <laughs> you know, um, I had a great job, so money, you know, wasn't an issue, but I had no friends, and I was depressed, and uh, I just, you know, I, I had no hope. I, I didn't know how to change it. I didn't know what to do. The decisions I had made obviously had not worked out, um, and, um, you know, the, being a mom was really the only thing that kept me going. Um, but, you know, God had a plan for me, and which still just amazes me. You know, a very familiar scripture um, is in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And I didn't see a future at that time. I, I couldn't see what was what could possibly be different. But in God's wisdom, he put me across the hall from uh, a family of disciples and an angel named Lori. And um, for a year, from the first day when I moved in, uh, for a year, they totally loved me, took care of me. John would come over and kill spiders for me and, you know, fix stuff. And um, they had me for dinner. Um, they, I could smell her making cookies, and she'd bring some over. I mean, you know, just – and, you know, I wasn't even really nice to them. I, 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 just, I just didn't want – you know, I just wasn't interested. Constant – uh, invitations to church and Women's Day, and I'd say, well, maybe, and then I'd cancel. I mean, you know, just total flake. Um, and, you know, it was funny because they had people over there all the time. I had nobody at my place. Okay, so they had people over there, like, all the time, and I could hear them laughing and stuff, and so I'd look through the keyhole of my apartment door, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like what are they doing over there? <laughs> you know? And I, I kind of wanted to be over there, but, you know, I wasn't ready. <clears throat> so after a year, um, the church had a Halloween party at the church office, and I didn't want to go, of course. But they took the kids with them, and they came back, and the kids just had this great time, you know. And so Lori said, hey, we're having to bring your neighbor day tomorrow, and we're going to be out in the park, and we're having a barbecue and all this stuff, a lot of kids' games. And the kids are like, please, Mom, can we go, please? So I'm like, Fine. You know, didn't want to go. On the way there, I didn't want to go. And, um, you know, but when I got there, it was pretty amazing. First of all, I'd never seen a minister in shorts, <laughs> which would just really blew me away, <laughs> you know. Um, and the lesson was on um, deep godly friendships, which I had never experienced in my life. Um, you know, I the kids went off with them to the kids' games, and I, I just kind of observed. You know, they had some adult games, and they had this live goldfish eating contest. I'll never forget it. I know you two are down there going, I remember that, right? And and I, it was hilarious. I have to tell you, it was hilarious. And so, but you could see that the sermon on godly friendships wasn't just talk. You could see it in the fellowship. 
you could tell these people knew each other and they cared about each other. And I was blown away, you know. And so that night, Lori kind of came over. I could tell she was scared to death, you know. She comes over. She's like, do you think maybe you might want to study the Bible, you know. And, <laughs> and I said, absolutely, because I want to understand what that was today. And so uh, I studied almost every day with Michelle. And, um, you know, I found out who God was finally by reading his word. I found out who he was. I found out what Jesus did for me, and I found out what God expected me to do about it. And, you know, it wasn't this theoretical, out there thing, you know, but it was personal and clear, and I had to make a decision about that. And so um, I was baptized two weeks later, and I'm sure Lori was stunned. (laughs) Stunned, I'm sure. Um, But you know, my life completely changed com- overnight, completely changed, and the lives of my kids as well. They had a family, you know. Um, a few months later, an amazing woman in our church who was young uh, died of cancer, and I didn't know them very well, but she had a husband and two small baby boys. And so I was on the outside looking in at this situation, and I saw this husband who had incredible strength and faith, and character, and I had never seen that in a man in my life, certainly none of the ones I had ever been involved with. And uh, so, you know, so I just kind of watching, and I sort of tucked that away. And then a couple months later when he started dating, um, he asked me, Dave asked, this is Dave, and he asked me out, and we ended up being engaged and getting married. And those two little boys became my sons, Ryan and Sean, who are one of the greatest gifts of my life. Um, That was 18 years ago, and, you know, I could take hours going through all the miracles that God has done since then, all the crazy things that have happened that are, you know, from him. Um, But two of the most important things to me are that three of our four children have since studied the Bible and become Christians, and that youngest one is still on his way. But I know he will make it because God, that is a promise of God. And the other thing was, after a lot of surrender and repentance, my first husband and I are really good friends now. And um, Dave and I are doing everything possible to help him study the Bible and become a Christian as well. And I know he's going to make it, too. Um, You know, God gave me hope and an amazing future of a life that I I didn't even, could not even have imagined, you know, it sounds, you know, let's quote that scripture, but I I had no reference of a life like that at all. And, you know, Ryan, Ryan, our oldest Ryan got married last year to an amazing spiritual woman. uh, And, you know, (laughs) I looked around at that wedding and I just thought at our family and friends and Virginia's amazing family, her disciples, and I just thought, I, how did, why did God do this for me? I, I just, you know, I still struggle with feeling worthy of that. And um, so at the reception, you know, 21 years later, Lori sat right next to me. And I wrote her a card, and I said, you know, without you and without your faith in God, none of this would have happened. I don't know where my life would be. 
I don't know where my life of my children would be, but I know that this day would not be happening for Ryan. And for those things, you know, I will be eternally grateful to her. So thank you. Amen. You know, obviously, God has been super kind to Mary and to myself, and uh, we are so grateful. And um, just really appreciate her sharing her heart. Bad time for my allergies to catch in, but um, <clears throat> but uh, as we uh, get ready to take the Lord's uh, Lord's Supper right now, um, let's just think about how how kind God has been to us in sending Jesus and just working in our lives and bringing us to a place to really uh, be saved and be able to just uh, be thankful for that. So let's pray as we take Lord's Supper. <clears throat> God, we are so grateful for your love for us and um, your kindness that was shown to each one of us uh, and how you have uh, just given your son so that we could uh, have a right relationship with you. Father, I just uh, am overwhelmed by how uh, how awesome you have worked in my own life and uh, Mary's life and all the things that have happened. And uh, I know that uh, everybody else uh, has a similar or, or different, maybe a little different story, but uh, but the heart of it, of, of you really uh, showing them love and concern and kindness and forgiveness is, is true for all of us. And uh, Father, as we take this time to really um, take the bread and the juice the mem- that to remember uh, Jesus on the cross, Father, help each one of us to personally think about uh your forgiveness for us and how you have helped us help it to motivate us god not out of a sense of duty but out of a sense of incredible gratitude uh we want to serve you god because you have done so much for us we pray i pray father that each one of us will feel that right now as we take this lord's supper we pray this through your son's name amen